Hello and welcome to part two of our Z episode, Gen Z. For those of you who haven't yet listened to part one, firstly, why on earth haven't you, frankly? Um, but in it, we covered a variety of topics, including hearing from Gen Z themselves about what characterizes their generation, some of the stereotypes around what that means, the tech they use, and their perspectives on the world of work. So for part two, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the accessibility of technology, the role of education, um, the approach of employees and employers, and also how we can support the growth of tech skills more broadly as well. Now, I'm delighted to say for this final episode that I'm joined by four guests in the studio. Firstly, Dr. Claire Thorne, who is co-CEO of Tech She Can. Emma Fuentes, who works here at PwC in Corporate Affairs, but who joined as a graduate into the Forensic Technology team. Salome, who hopefully you will remember from part one of the episode, who is a technology degree apprentice, studying computer science at Leeds, and is also working currently here in consulting. And last but not least, somebody who I think we can officially now call a friend of the pod, um, Robert Freeman, who is a technology journalist and lecturer. So thank you all very much for joining me for this discussion. Thanks. Um, so firstly, I'll turn to you, Claire. Um, we will absolutely come round to Tech Can in a moment. But in terms of looking back on part one of this episode, did any key messages resonate with you in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to it earlier. Um, so there's a few things that I think you said, Salome. Um, one was, you know, your dad went to university without a laptop. And this notion was just like <laughs> mind blowing. I also went to university, my undergrad days, without a laptop, without an email account. And I think what it really um, highlights quite visibly is the pace of change. And there's this huge challenge for um, the school curriculum, the workplace, the pathways and the number of different pathways into tech roles there are to keep up and to keep pace with the pace of technology. So that was that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was the importance of role modelling. So my co-CEO, who is uh, you know employee here at the PwC, Shara Dinesh, always says, you know, the only female um, in tech role model that she had to look up to was Ada Lovelace and she's dead. So, you know, the importance of relatable living, at least, but relatable role models um, that, uh, that represent you is, is really key. And then the other thing was um, almost bringing it back to first principles. So when we're talking about tech roles, is it DevOps, if it's software engineers, is it tech roles across multiple sectors, not just the tech sector? Um, and the same with the entrepreneurship side as well. So what exactly do we mean by tech roles was the other reflection I had. And that's a great question. And I mean, we're at least we're asking it now in the Z, <laughs> the, the Z episode, but yeah. Um, and Emma, I'd actually be really interested in getting your perspective as well on, on episode one. Um, as a Gen Z uh, representative yourself, did you agree with some of the comments that came out in, in part one or did anything um, kind of stick out for you in particular? Yeah, so building onto what um, Claire said, when Salome, you mentioned about your dad and how he was talking about Google Maps not existing and just how much um, advanced technology and growing connectivity has altered their everyday lives and what they were used to, um, I think it was also really interesting as Gen Z, 
for us, it's not that it's made our lives more efficient, it's that we've literally just grown up with it and we don't know anything other than a world where we have easy access to a vast amount of information and that we can communicate and collaborate with people from the anywhere in the world. Um, and I think for better or for worse, that's really shaped the way that we've developed as people, especially with the formations of social media. Absolutely. I do not miss paper street maps at all, I have to say. Um, and then um, finally, Rob, I might ask you as well the similar question. When you were listening to part one, which I know you have you have done, um, did, did anything strike you in particular, um, given your, your, your background and, and, and where you work? Oh, yes, lots of things, because I, I made notes as I was going on. It was fascinating to think that even though, I, I mean, I, I teach the age group that you're talking about in areas like journalism and bits of technology. And it's one of those things where you think, oh, yeah, I sort of know what's going on in these students' heads. And then you listen to a, a, more perspectives and more perspectives, and you think, I have no idea what is going on in people's heads at all. Um, it's interesting that everyone's talked about maps. Maps was the, one of the things that um, uh, I noted as well, because I think at least, uh, and I don't know if it was uh, the people sitting with us today, um, said they claim to have no map reading skills, was the bit I recognised. And I thought, I don't know about that. And I wondered whether or not this is just us not understanding, it comes back to your point about the, t the, the terms. What do we mean by this thing? Because I guarantee that if you had a paper map in front of us, you'd be able to read a map. And that's because you are used to Google Maps and online maps. And the reason you're able to read a paper map is because guess what? Both of those things are maps. <laughs> one of them is, you know, but it's, the only difference is that one of them has a screen and has all the maps, literally all the maps on it. Um, and it was just interesting, the perception there of thinking, oh, I don't know how to read a paper map. I guarantee you do. Maybe we need to go and do some orienteering to put that put that theory to practice. Honestly, I think Google Maps, of every app I've got on my phone, it's the single most transformational one. You know, it's completely changed my life. I use it every day, multiple times a day. Um, and I think as a woman trying to navigate the world, it's actually it's really helpful and empowering as well. I remember the days of A to Z. Yeah. 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 So yeah. definitely the most transformational app. Absolutely. The other thing I thought was um, interesting and was great that was talked about was the understanding of the role of privacy, particularly in social media. And I was so pleased yes. that came up. Everyone was aware that this is a big issue that I need to just always be constant in, you know, in the back of my mind where I'm doing things because there are ramifications. The stuff that's on the internet stays on the internet. And I have to say, I think that was one of the maybe one of the stereotypes I think we broke a little bit. Yeah. That actually there was there was an awareness of privacy and data protection um, that may be permeated more than Gen Z is, is given uh, given credit for. So Yeah, definitely like yeah. the savviness that came across, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well moving on from maps, um, Claire, I might I might come back to you. Um, and we did actually have one of your colleagues 
on a previous episode of the podcast, which was K for Kids. Um, but for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Tech She Can or who are interested in what's evolved in the couple of years since we spoke to Robin, um, could you tell us a little bit about what, what uh, Tech She Can does and your own journey into, into the organisation as well? Yeah, of course. So Robin is now our CRO. We are a fully independent charity. So back in 2019, I think it was, uh, Robin spoke to you, um, we were a charter and... Um, We've effectively spun out of PwC now, so they are our founding member. They still second um, people into us as an organisation, but we're a fully independent charity. We gained charitable status in summer 21. Um, so Sharon and I job share, and we've got 250 members, uh, member organisations now across around 40 sectors. So the strategic partners include obviously PwC, but also NetWest, Google, Unilever, Tesco, etc. Um, and we have really grown our, our Tech We Can Schools programme. So everything we do is for free because we're fully funded by our members. And to date, since becoming a charity, we have now directly reached, with our free resources, around 30,000 children, especially girls across the UK in the school setting. Um, so we are scaling, um, we're growing the Tech We Can programme, but we're also doing a lot more as well later on in the pipeline, which you know wasn't the case back in 2019. So um, just as an example, apprenticeships we are finding are really great pathways, particularly for women, and not just at the early stage of the pipeline, not just um, you know early entrance, post-college, post-university or you know, post-school, but actually for pivoters and returners and senior leaders later on in the pipeline. So um, at the end of last year, we piloted a scheme where we said to our, our larger corporate members, have you got a surplus levy? A lot of them have millions of you know, waste levies, what we call it. Um, would you like to donate it and redistribute it? Tech Can as a charity doesn't see any of that money, but within the member base to our SME and our charity um, organisations, our charity members. And within a couple of weeks, we had over a million pound of surplus or waste levy donated from our larger member organisations. And that's fully funding um, around 75 women tech apprentices, so specifically re repurposed for tech apprentices in organisations like British Science Association, Teach First, etc. So Tech We Can as a schools programme is growing. We've got 400 champions trained, um, including some from PwC. We're reaching thousands of children, literally. Um, but And that will always continue to be the heart of what we do. But we're also doing much more now. Brilliant. It sounds like it's having a massive impact and reach, which is obviously one of the most important, important things. Um, and that's a lovely segue, speaking of apprenticeships there, um, to Slome, who is one of our tech degree apprentices. Um, I would really love to get your opinion on, on being an apprentice. Have you found that the combination of um, university study and exposure to the workplace at the same time has, um, has, has prepared you for the world of work, do you think? Yeah, I think one thing it's given me is exposure because when I was younger, I had no idea what computer science was, where it could lead me or that. I thought it was such a niche thing that only a few people that liked coding knew about. I didn't know that it was like a whole career field. And I remember when I first heard of the apprenticeship scheme, I was still a bit unsure because I was like, I want to do engineering, I want to do computer science, I want to do science, science, like I don't want to go to business. And then I did a work experience and I was like, wow, this is the best of both worlds. I can still have that like technology experience, but I can also look at the business side. And being able to work, be a uni student, and also learn at 
university, all the things I wanted to learn, but get that corporate experience. It's just been great and fully funded as well. So I think I can't see doing it any other way, like, honestly. Brilliant. That was a very resounding success by the sounds of things then. <laughs> um, and Emma, um, I'll turn to you as well then. So you um, joined as a graduate, so a slightly different pathway, um, and you're from a STEM background. So as a Gen Z, I would love to get your opinion on um, your exposure into the world of work and the role of technology in that as well. Yeah, so I joined in 2019 having just graduated. Um, I did studied a maths degree. So for me, it was a very interest, interesting transition to go from studying maths to suddenly working and not necessarily using everything I'd learned in my math degree per se, but applying the skills that I'd learned into the world of work. And um, I think it really helped the fact that I did a placement year as well. And it's what you were saying, Salome, of having that exposure to the business and how you can apply your skills to kind of everyday work, especially in technology where I was using my problem-solving skills, my analytical skills, critical thinking, all this stuff that I'd learned in my degree to the world of work, I think was really useful to prepare me to know kind of what to expect from the future? I agree, because one of the reasons I studied computer science is because I loved learning about computers, but I was like, so what would I be doing? Would I be making computers? Would I be just coding? What, what, what would I do until I found out through the work experience that you do so much more with what you learn rather than the actual things you learn? Exactly. With, like with way more, like the skills you learn yeah. as well. I think computer science and IT is such a misnomer. Um, you know, to a, a, a school pupil, um, a college learner, university undergrad, um, I think it's really doing it a disservice and it doesn't feel updated in any way. Yeah. And then in terms of role models, so Claire, you mentioned earlier that when you were kind of thinking about studying STEM, there was a complete dearth of kind of relevant, uh, in particular, female role models for you to mm. look to. Um, Emma and Salome, when you were at a similar point in time thinking about kind of going on to further education or what kind of work you wanted to go into, did you find you had kind of women in technology to look to as role models? Um, so for me, it was so it was really interesting for me because my whole life I'd loved maths and it was something, it was my favourite subject consistently, but I never... I mean, growing up, I never considered it as a career choice. And I think the reason for this was because I had this ingrained bias that it's the discipline that was best suited for boys and it was just something that I liked and, you know, I happened to have to study it at school. But then I, I enjoyed it so much that I continued studying it, even when originally when I applied for university, I applied for a humanities-based subject, and I kept maths going um, just because I enjoyed it that much. And that's when my female maths teachers spoke to me and they were like, why, why are you giving it up? Why are you going to university to study something that it's not your passion and your favorite subject? And it was people like that that took interest in my career and showed me what it was actually like for them, their experience where they ended up working, what challenges they faced, kind of like already understanding what I was walking into. I think I'd say they were my key role models more than, you know, a film where there's a female mathematician, which happens once every so often anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It kills me inside when I hear you say that, you know, you didn't, you know, through no fault of your own, it was the way in which, you know, society is constructed that you didn't see maths as a, a route for you as a girl or a woman. 
Yeah. And does that resonate with you, Salome? Did you feel that computer science wasn't necessarily like for, for girls? It was only when I got to college and our college teacher walked in and she was a woman and she had been in the field for years. Like this, she had been like at least 15 years studying computer science, she studied it at uni. I was like, wait, this existed? Like, I thought it was a new thing that only us, that we knew about it, that we were just giving it a go. I didn't know that it was a diverse, as I said before, a diverse career field that people have been studying for years. And even now, when I see like older people, like the same age as my mom, that study computer science, that are women, I was like, wow, you knew about it back then? <laughs> There's a fascinating study from some years ago but uh, it's, it speaks exactly to that thing about gender stereotypes yeah. in technology. Um, I am obviously interested in communications technology primarily, but the, uh, the study kind of looked back and it said, why is it that we have women who sit there and somehow go, well, tech isn't for me, and you kind of look back generationally. This study came to the conclusion that when their parents were growing up, let's say in the early to mid 80s there were loads of kind of new computer stuff coming in it was the beginning of computer games that had um, mass attraction and and the cost had got low enough that they were sort of presents you go on uh, go on youtube type in 80s computer game ads what you will see is all these whiz bang ads of you know buy a new games console or I mean I don't think they called them that but you know the, it was a computer game thing and you plugged it into your television that everyone on there is a boy child they they were games and gadgets that that were marketed for dads to buy for their sons game boy game girl came a lot later yeah yeah, yeah, and 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 those attitudes, you know, they are generational. They 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 go twenty five year cycles where you've mm -hmm. got. It's interesting that there must be exactly a generation. I think twenty twenty five years between I think Emma and Salome and me. But my parents were exactly the same. Yeah. Go go and get a degree. No, that thing you want to do. No degree. Uh, those it takes a long time to kind of get out of these cycles. With Techie Can, what we try and do is reach children and inspire them and about potential pathways into tech roles, connecting their passions. It might not necessarily be in STEM. They might not necessarily know really what, what STEM is or be good at it, but connecting their passions with potential tech roles and really feature predominantly women and diverse role models. And I think um, the thing that came out of the piece of research that PwC commissioned, which started off Tech She Can, so back in 2017-18, was that women and girls want to work in careers that are creative and they want to work in careers that are doing tech for good, societal good, and there's a disconnect because they don't necessarily link that to a role in technology. Um, so, yeah, we, we're trying to tackle those stereotypes really early on. Parents are a big part of that, but working directly with the children before, you know, the pre-GCSE options decision point. Um, and also trying to link the fact that STEM roles and tech careers are inherently creative. Um, and, you know, you can follow your passion. You know, any pathway can lead into a tech role, whether it's, you know, a love of languages or the arts, whatever it is. And are you finding that having those conversations earlier on are beginning to 
shape the way that young people, and obviously we're talking specifically there about um, girls and women, um, how they look at pathways into technology or STEM-related roles, and it, it, yeah. are we beginning to see a shift there? It is a lovely anecdote where Becky Patel, who is from L&D here in PwC and seconded into Tech She Can, she leads our, our Tech We Can programme, and she was delivering some of our Tech We Can content to, um, I think, a group of uh, eight-year-olds. And at the start of the session, she was asking them to draw what they think somebody working in the tech sector or in a tech role looked like. And this young girl, she drew a white middle-aged man. He was overweight. He was in a basement. He had five screens. He was hacking into the Pentagon. Like, where does this idea come from? This isn't something that, you know, she's just conjured up. This is a result of stereotypes that have been ingrained to get her to that point. She's seen it somewhere. She's heard it somewhere. And then after one session with Becky and the team, they then repeated the exercise. And you know what, she drew herself. She drew herself with her natural hair, with a cape. She was working in Facebook. She had connected her love of languages. She was really good at English with a potential tech role. Um, so yeah, that's the sort of impact that we're absolutely seeing. So it's about making it relatable then, yeah. that, that people can see Visible. themselves reflected in potential career opportunities and pathways how are we kind of stuck in this this is the route from primary school to secondary school and possibly then to tertiary education again 25 years ago i was the person stepping off the escalator of secondary school and going oh what do i do now oh i suppose i should go to university and then i had no visibility of that route other than oh i'm just on another i'm still learning stuff and I think um, the I think one of the things I reflected on from part one was I don't I don't know if you said it, but I was thinking, oh, you know, it was this light bulb moment is, you know, Gen Zers. I think there's going to be a default, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but a sort of expectation that actually a portfolio career is the only career. And, you know, we think back to our parents' generation and, um, you know, my dad was in the same role for 40 years and, you know, it was just what was done. Whereas I think the default will be switched and it will be that there's a portfolio career. And I think that's really positive, particularly for women in the workplace um, for that generation. I think it offers a lot of flexibility, it offers creativity. Um, it, it's almost like a hypermobile workforce where you could do multiple things at once. It's not this or that, it's not binary. And every employer you work with in your portfolio will be using technology in slightly different ways. Um, and uh, people, I think, need to think more about being kind of magpies and just grabbing experience from one place yeah. and a particular tool or th the use of things and and that's that's what builds in kind of who you are and what what you have to offer to potential employers um, but also that that much more modern thing is about actually what does success mean to me yeah. in my life now rather than just getting up and going to work and going home and eating and sleeping and then in the morning doing the whole thing again I think <laughs> quite an existential question there. Sorry, Sloane. No, I was just going to say, I think what's really important about charities like Tech She Can and other ones is just the fact that they have 
the resources to give students that one-to-one one -one or like closer group where they can be like, these are the opportunities you have and you can get there in multiple different ways. Yeah. Because I tutored my little cousin, I've tutored him since he was in primary school all the way up until now. And he's always struggled with maths, but not because, but just because he didn't really engage in that classroom setting. And he was led to feel like he just was not smart, that he would not get to go to uni and then he yeah. had to get a very basic job. It was only like recently when he started college, he got the opportunity to come actually into PwC and like with the charity and to other organizations to get the exposure. He realized, I can actually do this. Like, I'm not dumb. Like, there's different, I just have a different way of thinking that I can apply. I think it really shows you the power of bringing children um, on, on their sort of, at, at the right moments in their schooling into organizations and also teachers for a little bit of CPD as well. And I think that's my own experience. Like I say, I had no role models whatsoever. Um, nobody had been to university in my immediate family before. One of my brothers, um, a couple of years older than me, was the first. Um, and I, I really distinctly remember, it must have been sort of late 80s, early 90s, um, my dad, who was a telecoms engineer, so fairly STEMI, um, he had, he, his organisation was taking part in National Take Your Daughters to Work Day, which sounds ridiculously cheesy. Um, but essentially, that's what we're doing in Tech Can now with our Career Insights Days. We're opening the doors, we're bringing you know, small groups in. And really randomly, it was my home ec teacher, my cooking teacher, that took me and like five other girls, pre-year 11, into my dad's workplace for the day. And it totally sets you on a path. Um, but it's, it's serendipitous. It's piecemeal, it's not systematic in any way, and it just so happens that it reached me. Um, but it's about trying to make um, that really systematic and trying to, you know, access for all, really. I remember when I was at school, one of my um, schoolmates' dads worked at a local nuclear power plant. So we went, we went there for the day, and I remember putting a little hard hat on, and we were all trotting around the nuclear power plant. But I, it didn't obviously encourage me to be a nuclear engineer. But maybe. But it sticks with you. It's an experience you definitely remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then we've touched on, or maybe alluded to, a possible shift in the relationship between employers and employees when we are looking at things like people having a side hustle, which we mentioned in part one of, of the podcast episode. Do you think that um, employers are recognising that this these shifts are happening and the relationship is changing? And how are they addressing that relationship with, with Gen Z, um, particularly in terms of technology? Yeah, I think across our member organisations, so 250-odd, 40 sectors represented um you know they are they're, they're donating to tech she can to make it happen they see that there is a need um to connect the skills um and the roles that they need with what's coming out of the school system so they're totally committed they totally get it and they're in it for the long haul um, but also they need to plug some immediate gaps as well and if we if we look forward you've kind of mentioned there that there are both short and long-term needs that are being recognised and, and beginning to be addressed, maybe. Um, what do we, as a group, think that the future of, of, of this is going to look like? So I suppose in terms of Gen Z's relationship with te technology, the pipeline of skills coming through and that route into the workplace. Um, does anybody have any kind of any thoughts on, on, that, on that future piece? Rob, maybe. I'll give it a go. The um, I'm a bit of a nerd and I'm a big fan of gaming and 
uh, it struck me, I think it's Salome, you, you said, coming into the workplace, the interaction was the thing that you went, oh, wow, this is not how I expected. And it's really great to interact with people. And you're exactly right, it is. It's kind of how we learn and it's how workplaces progress. Um, and I think from a technology perspective, when we've just come out of COVID, when we've got groups of particularly new joiners who have been in that sort of COVID bubble and lots and lots of online learning and lots and lots of uh, maybe inductions into organisations that were just online. How do we use technology more effectively from now and onwards to knit teams and groups together? I think gaming is a really neat way of being able to do that. Um, a study um, flew across my desk the other week uh, that I thought was particularly relevant to this, and it, it talks about um, particularly Gen Zers in the workplace feel that once they've kind of got into a job that they're, they're a bit stuck and the, the, the opportunities to, to learn go away a bit. Don't forget, they've just had you know years and years and years, nothing but learning, and then it's sort of, okay, now sit here in your work and do the thing. And uh, there was this sense in the study that uh, Gen Zers reckoned that they had to actually leave roles in order to learn and progress. Um, this is obviously bad for employers because you don't, get a good base of really firm, knowledgeable staff if, if people are flitting around too much. So again, how do you get people to stay and learn and interact? And I think there are technological ways of doing that. My favourite, gaming. <laughs> I, I agree on, on the people piece. I think definitely the, um, the sense of community is going to be even more important. I also think Gen Z, as maybe you already are, but I think you will be expecting better workplace systems and better workplace management, better organisational culture than you know what's gone before. You're so savvy, and you've got these really high expectations, rightly so. And I think that you know the organisational structures and the management style needs to play catch up with that, and we we're going to need to raise our game to be able to retain you. Um, I think. Um, I feel kind of hopeful because I, I, I don't know if you agree, but I think already we are generating more um, positive, diverse, relatable role models than we've ever had before. Um, so I feel like, you know, it's only getting better in that sense. And I think the other challenge and opportunity for employers with Gen Zers is to really recognise that the digital natives are absolutely content creators. I mean, I see it with my eldest, who's seven, and she just wants to create content all the time, not necessarily upload it for others to consume, but, you know, just natural co communicators and natural content creators. So that's something I think for the employers to harness. Yeah, I think with the on the point on content creation, I think I'm really hopeful for the future in terms of bringing more representation, accurate representation of what it's like to work in STEM, um, just because people are using things like TikTok younger and younger and they're exposed to so much content of people putting out what it's like a day in the life of someone in this field or, you know, get ready with me and go to this job. And it, it actually provides an accurate representation of what it's like to work in a certain field or industry that you wouldn't necessarily have had before. And I think it's really helpful in challenging harmful stereotypes that people would have had previously that would have maybe been a barrier to entry. So yeah, I, I'm really hopeful that things like social media will help in getting more people into STEM. That was a really nice positive note. Um, 
maybe to end on there. So thank you. I think really nice to hear that, Claire, you think that Gen Z is actually setting the bar high, which will benefit everybody in the workplace, that technology is helping to make workplace more accessible and more diverse um, and bringing that kind of new level level and new layer of creativity to, to what we're doing. Um, so I think all that's left to say now is actually a lot of thank yous. So firstly, thank you to my four guests for joining me today, Claire, Emma, Rob and Salome. Also, a big thank you to all the guests who joined um, over the previous episodes, who've shared their insights and their expertise over a huge variety of different topics. Um, also, a thank you uh, and a shout out to my co-hosts who joined on previous episodes. Um, so Felicity, Hugo and Shreya. Also, a big thank you to everybody who made this happen behind the scenes. So the brilliant technical studio team um, and also the ever patient and creative producers, um, currently Rupert and Chris. And last but certainly not least, a thank you to all of, your, uh, all of the listeners for joining us on this technological alphabetical adventure. So we may have there reached the end of the alphabet, but potentially this might not be the last you hear from us. So do stay subscribed and keep your ears open.